Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. As a man who has ADHD, I lose things a lot. Like a lot. Uh, not like big things, like I don't like lose my dog or anything, but like uh, keys I've lost, uh, cell phone, wallet. In fact, literally just this morning, hand to God, just this morning I spent 15 minutes looking for my wallet, which is strange because it's usually magneted on the back of my phone, right? Um, it was in the garage, you know, as wallets tend to be. I just decided to set it on a shelf in there. So I'm saying basically that our gospel reading for today Maybe hit a little too close to home when it comes to the losing of things. Uh, like the woman who lost the coin, I know that panic that sets in where, like, I, I just want to find the thing. I'm pretty sure I thought it was right here, and you're just like, I just want to find it, right? I, it resonates with me. And with that in mind, by the way, I've said this before, I think, um, but nobody has taken me up on it because it doesn't exist yet. Here's a million dollar idea a television where there's a button on the actual TV set where you press it and the remote control beeps. Why doesn't that exist? Because you'd find it in the couch cushion, you'd find it on the shelf, or in my case, the refrigerator, wherever it may be. Listen, we have some influential people in this congregation. Make it happen. Now that I've given my million-dollar idea away, um, let's go to God in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> Lord God, Heavenly Father, <sighs> Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this chance that we get to come together and worship you. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. I pray that it is your message. I pray that you can focus us all on you, myself included. I submit myself to you, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in a powerful way to, to all of us. I pray that you would be at work, that your truth, your love would be known in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Again, special welcome to those of you joining online. It is great to have you. Uh, I, I pray that if you're watching live, you're able to share that with other people so that they can join us and hear that message of hope from God. Today's scriptures, both of them, we're going to be looking at from Ezekiel chapter 34 and Luke chapter 15. And whenever you're looking at scripture, you should really ask yourself three kind of fundamental questions. What is this saying about God? What is this saying about society, people, the church, however you want to define that? What is this saying about society? And then what is this saying about and to me as an individual? What does this say about God? What does this say about society? What does this say about and to me? I'm going to go through all three of those today with kind of both scriptures. Um, so let's start with Ezekiel, right? A little background on what's happening here in this Old Testament reading thousands of years before Jesus. Uh, this is during a time that they kind of called the first wave of the second exile of the people of Israel. So the people of Israel, uh, which kind of Jerusalem as their center, were scattered. And this particular time, King Nebuchadnezzar did it, um, scattered them out. The, the Babylonians kicked them out of their homeland. They were kind of spread all over the area. They were already experiencing some contention as a nation because they had already split between Israel and they created Judah, which is kind of the second nation within Israel, right? And so they were already experiencing this conflict, this tension. And so Ezekiel comes in in the midst of this second, um, second kind of spreading out, this second time where they were scattered. It's the first wave. There's actually a second wave that comes later. And that's what he's writing into. That's what he's prophesying into that culture. So if you consider the fact that they're experiencing conflict within themselves, 
If you consider the fact that they're now spread out, that the, the flock, to use the metaphor, are spread out all throughout the land and have all these different rulers over them. They, they had these leaders that led them astray, that there are those who are taking advantage of them. When you look at Ezekiel 34, you go, yeah, okay. It's pretty obvious what he's talking about, right? It seems like it kind of hits it on the nose about you're a flock that is scattered. I, God, am going to be your shepherd to bring you back together. I'm going to go after those who have led you astray, those leaders who are kind of the false shepherds. Um, and I'm going to, to attack them while keeping you safe. That would be the interpretation of those in Ezekiel's times. That's what they would have heard. That's what they would have understood. However, when Luke 15 comes around, and Jesus starts referencing the, the idea of, of a shepherd who has lost one of his flock and goes out to find them, those around him would have immediately gone back to Ezekiel. Like it would have been ringing in their ears, right? If I say the phrase, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, some of you know the rest of the lyrics and you're kind of like, right? Because it kind of rings in your ears. Um, if I was Pastor Jason, I would have sang that whole thing, but I'm not going to because I can't sing. Um, but when they go through Ezekiel, when they're hearing these words, they're going, oh yeah, he's talking about Ezekiel. But here's the thing. Ezekiel is talking to the people of Israel and Judah. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. So when he references the fat and the powerful for the people of Israel, they're thinking the kings that are over us. They're thinking the leaders that led us astray. But for the Pharisees, we might just be talking about them. And luckily when it says the fat and the powerful, it's not literal, right? Because like, right, I, I just went and hiked multiple miles a day for like a week and a half. All I basically ate was beef jerky and granola bars, two pounds, I lost two pounds. So awesome, thanks. So luckily he means those that are basically content, they're comfortable and they have power. That's basically what it's talking about there. And so when the Pharisees are hearing this, they're maybe sweating a smidge, saying, oh, when you're referencing this shepherd that goes out to find the one, are we the ones that God is going to destroy? Is that what you're implying here, Jesus? You can see why Jesus ends up on the wrong side of the Pharisees. And on top of that, what they're kind of accusing him of, the, the reason this whole parable situation came about they're asking him the question, what are you doing with the weak and the sick? What are you doing with the sinners? What are you doing with the tax collectors? What are you doing with these people that we consider to be lesser? See, Jesus responds with what I would consider classic Jesus sass. I don't know if you know this. We have a very sassy Lord. Um, because when he comes back and says, consider one of you men has a hundred sheep. Would you not leave that sheep to go pursue him? See, the reason we don't necessarily catch on to it is a hundred sheep was a lot of sheep in those days. You would have been very wealthy. And so as he's speaking to the wealthy Pharisees, he's saying if you had a hundred sheep, what they would have done, they would have hired a shepherd. They wouldn't have been the one to go be the shepherd because to that culture, shepherding was something that you hired out. It was a, it was a job for somebody else. I got people for that, right? Not for the Pharisees, especially the Pharisees being the religious leaders, because there's some debate whether a shepherd was considered a lowly position, right? Um, but it certainly was something that you wouldn't necessarily want your daughter to marry, uh, because as for the religious leaders, the shepherds couldn't keep a lot of the ritual laws that they held that they thought were so important, right? They couldn't cleanse themselves the same way that many others. They couldn't attend 
worship or, or make sacrifices in the temple. They were stuck out in the field. And the big one was they couldn't honor the Sabbath day, right? Because if honoring the Sabbath day and the interpretation of the Pharisees was you don't work for a day, as shepherds, they couldn't very well be like, hey, sheep, I'm going to need you to stay put for like 24 hours. Do me a favor. Don't get eaten by wolves because I need to go do this religious thing. Just chill here. No, they had to tend to their flock. And so they would have been considered, in some sense, unclean or at least unworthy. And so here's Jesus saying, well, if one of you men had 100 sheep, wouldn't you go and pursue them? And they're going, no, we've got people for that. It'd be like in modern times if his parable was, which of you during the lunch rush, if you're flipping burgers, has 100 burgers and one of them gets stuck to the griddle, wouldn't you chip that last one free? And you're going, well, that's a... Kind of a, or maybe he said something like, which of you, if you're, if you're collecting a hundred trash cans off the neighborhood street and one of them blows away, wouldn't pursue it? There's some context there when it comes to this idea of being a shepherd uh, that, that for at least the Pharisees who considered their status and their wealth to be incredibly important, that would have been insulting to them. Then he goes on to use a different parable that perhaps would have hit a little closer to home for the Pharisees, because he uses money. In fact, later on in Luke, there's a, a literal parenthetical that says, for the Pharisees love money, in case there was any question or doubt on that. Um, so he says, consider you're a woman, and you have, you have 10 coins, and that particular coin is called uh, drachma. It's a Greek coin, similar to a Roman denarius. Um, basically, would have been one day's wages, give or take about $100. And so if you lose this coin of $100, like, it maybe isn't life-changing, but it certainly is annoying. You'd want to find it. And so she has 10 of these coins, loses one, turns on the light, is able to find them, right? This one basically speaks to the Pharisees a little bit more. But the two metaphors, the two parables, they're basically the same, right? The idea that you have a possession of something, that a small fraction of that possession, a small fraction of that which is in your care goes away, and you pursue it. So, what do these two things, Ezekiel, Luke 15, what do they teach us about God? That he cares. He cares about us, about each and every one of us, about each and every person in this world, about his children. I mean, looking at the Gospels, at those two parables side by side, basically it seems like Jesus God himself is saying that he views pursuing the lost as just as important, if not more so, than caring for the flock. It'd be hard to have any other interpretation if you really look at it, right? That he cares just as much, if not more so, about pursuing the lost than caring for the flock. And that's not to say that he shouldn't care for the flock. A good shepherd obviously takes care of his flock. But when you look at what it says, our translation says, leave the 99 in the open country. It's a terrible translation because it actually is the wilderness. He's being left in, and the first word, part of that is wild. There's still danger there for the 99. There's still wild animals. There's still a chance that there's some of the other ones could wander off. Now, I've seen speculation. Some scholars have said a, a flock of 100 probably would have had more than one shepherd. But if we're factoring in Ezekiel, where, where God says, I am the shepherd, Jesus, of course, says, I am the good shepherd, um, you would assume that there wouldn't be another like person shepherd. But some have said, maybe this is pointing to the Trinity, that as Jesus goes to pursue the one who is lost, that the Holy Spirit is there to still kind of care over the 99. There's an interesting thought there, but, but that kind of loses the, the thread a little bit. It's something to, to ponder. 
What it comes down to, though, is God saying, I care about the one. Some of you have business background. And if I told you you had to forsake 99% of your investment to pursue a 1% loss, you would say that I'm crazy. You would say, no, 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 that 1% loss is a write-off. Forget about it. You got to take care of your 99% investment. That's not how God operates. God says that one matters to me. That's who God is. He cares. He pursues repentance of the one who is lost. I want to use real quick a little explanation of the idea of the word repent, right? Because we hear it and we picture it at the street corner, repent, you sinners. That's kind of a, a misuse of the term. Repent actually in Greek means metanoia. That's the word. Uh, meta meaning to be changed or, or transformed after the fact. Uh, and then noia meaning thought. So it's basically a, a changing of mind, changing your perspective after you experience something. Basically, when it says repentance of sinners, it is changing their mind away from wandering, changing their mind away from the hopelessness, the lost, and the abandoned feelings towards this feeling of being part of a flock, part of a family, belonging. It is transforming of mind. So when you see repentance, it's not like, let me write down all my sins. Oh, that's a big one. Let me get that one. And oh, yeah, don't forget. Like, that's not what repenting means in Scripture. It means to change your mind, to go the other way. So, with that in mind, what does this say? What do these two scriptures, Ezekiel 34, Luke 15, what do they say about society? Well, I just spent the past week and a half or so wandering along trails and thinking a lot and looking for bears, which I saw none. Um, but one of the things that came to mind as I pondered this scripture is maybe we, the modern church, have it all wrong. Let me say this, if you are one of the one, you consider yourself one of the people wandering in the desert, in the canyon, you're, you're lost, you don't feel like you belong among the flock. What I'm about to say isn't necessarily for you. You can kind of tune out right now. You probably already have. Um, but this is for the 99, like 99 sheep Lutheran church. I always joke about Wales Belly Lutheran church. No, this is 99 sheep Lutheran church. Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of, of Lutheran churches that are the 99 flock and they've forgotten about the one. What are we doing to actively pursue the one? What are we doing? Because it's not just, oh, we're going to sit and wait for them to show up. We'll be nice when they come. We'll make sure that we have a welcome bag to give them when they show up. No, Jesus says he goes out, leaves behind the 99, and pursues actively the one. So what are we doing to pursue the lost? Here at Christ Morrow, there are a number of partnerships we have. Uh, we work with Family Point. We, we, of course, have that relationship. We have Open Door Ministries that, that comes on our campus and does a, a food distribution. We just heard uh, from Spring Branch ISD where we have an opportunity to mentor, to be a voice of hope in a young person's life. We work with Memorial Area Ministries, MAM, to try and help people. There are a number of things we're, we're trying to do, but it should always be a question. What are we doing to actively pursue the lost? Ponder that. Ask yourself that in your own life. Ask yourself that corporately when it comes to the church because we should never lose sight of that. And when it comes down to it, we should, when they come in, we should not be the sheep in Ezekiel 34 where God says that there are those who come in and they shoulder them out. 
There are those who come in and they find the grass that they could be eating trampled by those who are already there. The, the water that they should be drinking muddied by the feet of the people who are there. Too often, the lost finally find their way to church. The Holy Spirit leads them and they're looked at out of the corner of their eye. They're given a stink eye because we know their past. We know what they've been through and they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel like they're one of the flock. In fact, when I was just in Calgary, I saw a flock of geese, which let me tell you, I love all God's creatures, but geese, they're scary. Um, <laughs> and there was one goose who was like too far away and he kind of came and they all attacked him. And it was the craziest thing. And I felt like jumping in, but you know, geese, I don't want to mess with them. And, and I was just thinking like, this is what the church looks like too often. Is somebody who wandered away, they come back and maybe, maybe they have too many tattoos. Maybe they have a new thing in their life. Maybe they have something going on. Maybe they, and people are looking at them kind of funny for the way that they dress. They're looking at them kind of funny for their life choices. But that's not the model of God. God doesn't just sit and whack and wait. No, he goes out and pursues them. So for us, 99 Sheep Lutheran Church, Let's seek the one. Let's seek those who are lost, who need to hear that message of hope. So, okay. If you tuned out earlier, now come back, come back to us. What does this say to you, to me, as an individual? How does this, how should this, how can this impact you? No matter what you're going through. No matter what you have been through. No matter where you are in your life, in your faith journey, God is pursuing you. God is actively trying to find you, to rescue you, to save you, to bring you back. As I was hiking on those trails, um, when you're walking multiple miles up and down mountains a day, you begin to think about your feet a lot. And I got to thinking about the shoes of Christianity, right? Because Jesus was a big sandal guy, loved sandals. He was all about the sandals, right? You see people hiking in sandals, you're like, that's just, that's just asking for a rock to jump in there, right? That was Jesus' choice. He was a, he was a sandal guy. But, but in our modern times, what is the shoe of Christianity? You know, you come to our early service, you'll see a lot of patent leather to go alongside a nice suit, right? And that's good. That's good because it's reverent. It's showing respect for being in the house of God, right? That, that's important. You, you, come to, you go to like a big non-denominational church and the, the preacher will be wearing like, like hundreds of dollars of like retro Jordans, right? And that's good too, because it's showing like I'm one of you. We're, we're all in this together. There's not like this pretension that kind of goes alongside it. I usually try and split the difference. But, but when it comes to the shoe of Christianity, like what, what should Christianity be? I mean, it's gotta be, it's gotta be dusty old hiking shoes. Because God doesn't just sit and wait. God doesn't just stay in the church. God doesn't just say, hey, come to me and I'll be ready when you come back. No, God laces up his boots, his beat up, worn out, dusty boots, and goes out on the trail in pursuit of the lost. He is searching for those who don't know hope, who are trying desperately to pull anything positive out of this broken world. And it says that he takes them and he places them on his shoulders as a sacrifice himself so that they can be rescued. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where you are, maybe you come to church every day, you've been here every Sunday for 80 years, but you still sit there and you have these nagging doubts. 
Maybe somebody in your life got a, a health diagnosis and you're like, God, where are you? Maybe you got a health diagnosis and you're saying, God, why have you turned your back on me? Maybe you just look at all the chaos and the pain in the world around you and say, God, where, where are you in this? And you feel like you're just wandering through the canyon and there, there are enemies looming overhead and there's darkness and you're afraid and there's a storm coming. You're not sure what to do. You don't have a God who's just waiting for you. You don't have a God who says, come back to base camp and I'll be here. No, you have a God who is walking through that same storm to find you. And he's ready to rescue you, to guide you through this difficulty, to, to pick you up and carry you, to show you what it means to belong, to show you what it means to be loved. And then when you come back, I pray that the flock receives you in such a loving and compassionate, empathetic way that we may celebrate that metanoia of the one who has lost. Because that's the very next parable, by the way. The very next parable that Jesus tells is the story of the prodigal son. It's actually considered kind of part. It's a package deal with, with the other two. God is that father running out to meet his prodigal son on the road. I pray that we're not the older brother. I pray that we welcome back, that we throw a feast, that we celebrate as people have that change of mind as they come to know hope found only in the gospel. My friends, God has come to rescue us. The lost is found. And so we rejoice. Let's celebrate. Amen? Amen.